When you really look at what what's going on with this crisis, as we talked about earlier, with like the you know we saw how bad the healthcare system is because of this crisis. We saw how bad our political system is because of this crisis. You're going to see more people start looking for new ideas, agree. and they're going to say, you know what, this old way isn't working anymore. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. I'm Amisha Cross. And I am uh, Tyrell Ventura. All right. Well, it's great to have Tyrell on. By the way, I'm going to brag on him a little bit. He has a great show on RT America, watching the Hawks, who Amisha Cross is his co-host on there all the time, too, as well. So I had the pleasure to come on their show. And I am honored that he could come on this show. I think we have a lot in common. Uh, you know, we both don't really care what anybody says. Um, I mean, I guess I'm a, I'm a Democrat, but I don't necessarily, I don't find any allegiance and I will call out bullshit when I see it. And so will Tyrell. So we, this is going to be a really fun conversation because there's a lot of shit to be called out at this point. There, there's a lot of bullshit free flowing <laughs> in the world today. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, it's free flowing in a way that, uh, I, I don't know. We're going to have to find a way to end the conversation because we have a whole lot to talk about. Uh, what I want to get to, Tyrell and Amisha, is to really talk about the COVID-19 crisis we find ourselves in. And uh, the general conversation is something like this. You know, COVID-19 is affecting all of us. It's, it's, it's really just something that is, it is causing this massive amount of damage. But I want to just look at it at a really different way to say, is COVID-19 actually really the virus? Is the virus really our political system? And I want to talk about this in really just several ways. I, I actually think this virus has done a lot to not destroy our system, but expose the vulnerabilities, the weaknesses, so on and so forth. I think that's more of what this has done to do that. I don't, I don't think it's done. I mean, obviously it's caused some short-term damage, but that's not the, bigger, the, the biggest problem I see. I see that it's exposed the long-term problems that we have. And I'm just talking about America right now. So let's just talk about, if you can, what you thought about the response to this. What was your... I, I've talked about it so much that I want to hear both of you guys' points of view. We'll start with Tyrell and go down to Amisha. I mean, I want to really hear your point of view on this and kind of get your your thoughts. Well, you know, hold on. This needs a cigarette. Um, <laughs> the The response to me was kind of... I mean, we all know the bad response. Like to me, it, it failed miserably because whenever you have you know upwards of ninety thousand going on hundred thousand dead, you know, Americans, U.S. citizens, uh, that that to me is a failed response. Uh, and I and I and I call out like obviously the the big target there is the is the executive branch, Trump and the White House, but but it's also Congress's fault too. They they get lost in that shuffle too because. You know, I, I kind of look at the general U.S. government response has been uh, a failure when you have 90-some thousand people dead um, because of the, the simple fact that we saw the stories, we saw the reports, they knew that this was coming, they could have done a much better job in educating the American people about what was going on and why we had to do stay-at-home stay orders. Instead, everything kind of got locked in this partisan back-and-forth battle that I think did more to hurt our response and I think plus as you said and I agree it exposed a lot of the things that, that that our political system has been ignoring for a long period of time not just in a certain in terms of you know response to pandemic and response to this particular problem but also in general infrastructure issues communication issues um, you know people's ability and access to good information 
you know, this really exposed a lot of the major problems. And I think it's been a miserable expo- uh, uh, response. I think common folk, I think people outside of Washington, I think that their response has been as best as it can be, uh, given what they've had to deal with. Uh, I think first responders response, again, best they can be, uh, given the supplies and things like that, that they were able to get or had to fight to get. Uh, I think that, but on a, on a political level, the, the, the response has been atrocious. I, I think it's one of the biggest stains in modern U.S. history. No question. Misha, what do you think? Um, I, I agree with that. I think that in the, in the interim time, we had this ideology of we're all in this together. And we found out really quickly once we got the demographic breakdown of who was affected the most, that we yep. definitely were not no, all in no. this together. <laughs> once it was shown that Black people were the most affected, and then we saw a growing number right behind of Latinos that were the most affected, then we're all in this together was like sink or swim, you figure it out on your own. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, mean, I think that we, we definitely saw that. And that's something that we see tracking. On that point, uh, and then we'll let you finish because you just sparked a thought in my head. It's, I mean, it went to we're all in this together to why are you so fat? Why are you unhealthy? And why did you call you? I mean, that's essentially what they said. They were like, yeah, well, of course you're dying. You're overweight. It's the stuff you're doing. Take care of yourself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What the hell is wrong with you people? That's basically the, the response of what, it, what happened. But go, go ahead. No, you're absolutely right. Once the disproportionate numbers came out and they were minorities, largely black and Latino, then the blame game started with how it was your fault, how your personal actions, how your personal decisions could have changed the trajectory. Meanwhile, ignoring the fact that lack of healthcare equity is a major cause. So is people living in food deserts, so is lack of housing availability. There are so many things that are going on that causes these two specific groups to be affected the most. I would also argue that we have an administration that continually, for the longest, up until March, end of March, said that this was a hoax. They didn't want to believe that was something that they should take seriously at all. We had a president basically talk it down, regardless of how many scientists, regardless of how many world leaders were there to tell him otherwise. A, a president who broke down and disavowed the pandemic response team that was yeah. placed by President Obama. A president who, even after he started seeing more and more Americans infected and dying, instead of moving towards actually acknowledging what needs to be done, what levels of treatment were available, rushing to make sure that people had adequate access to, to hospitals and to a lot of the PPE equipment, he decided to go on a full-on attack of the Chinese people and the Chinese government. So I think right. a lot of things that went wrong. Yeah, I mean, go to what works. I mean, when in doubt, figure out somebody else to blame to keep it off of you. And, you know, you guys got to the point that this is a failure because so many people are dead. That, that's kind of just, that's a mic drop. I really don't have a response to that. <clears throat> Except to say that, uh, well, that this has also done something to show the failures. That I, I want to go back to what you talked about, uh, uh, Tyrell, when you talked about the failure of how we communicate. And I think Trump, this current president, if you want to call him that, he took this he took this opportunity <clears throat> and he's taken this opportunity in this moment uh, like no one else ever did. He got in front of the train like he is not the source of the problems. Like I do not like Trump, but he exposed an environment that is here, used it better than anybody else did. And the fact is, you know, it, it's working. Look, they uh, the strategy has been how do we discredit anybody that's that has a, that that has science behind them before this we do it with climate change we do it with lots of other things they're like well forget those numbers you don't have to those elitists are trying to tell you what to do and i'm not discounting that sometimes elitists don't always know but sometimes you got to trust the science and the data and we have gotten to a point where how we communicate uh 
we, we can't trust if it's it, we will argue if the sun is out when it's clear as a sunny day and we'll and somebody else half half of the country will say it's raining. How do to we even point, get past though, that? Go ahead. To that point, though, Rob, what we've seen interesting here that we didn't see in some past administrations. Yes, there are conservatives who, by and large, have always disagreed with with science as we know it. But they haven't necessarily disagreed with the scientists and the medical professionals who are on their own team. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is unique. President go and create an all-out assault against Anthony Fauci, who's somebody that he put on his team. Fair enough. And now he's looking for doctors who basically agree with him. He is literally trying to make hydroxychloroquine be something that works and matters for COVID-19 treatment, even though all things medicine say that it doesn't. So he's going to find some fly-by-night doctors who actually agree with him and parade around the media. So we're also seeing him create an illusion of science by people who have an MD in front of their name. And let's also not forget the, the simple fact that I think that this virus uh, has exposed when you talk about failed infrastructure and things like that. It also exposed how ludicrous our you know, pay-to-play healthcare system is. Oh, yes. Because when, when you have a healthcare preach, system brother, that's, yeah, that's only based on the dollar and only based on what's being sold or what, you know, how much you can be charged or an insurance companies and all that, then, you know, when you look across the world and you see other countries, you know, Italy had a big problem, but when you see countries that have real strong socialized medicine and things of that nature, they were more prepared. Their population was healthier. They were all more prepared to deal with this so you didn't see the same amount of effects, you know, hit them. Uh, even London, which had, you know, you know, real bad bout with it at first, is starting to kind of balance out. And because, again, you have a healthy population that you're not going to see as many fatalities because you know, we have a population that doesn't go to the doctor because it's too expensive. I think me and Amisha were talking about the other day. I mean, when it costs three to $5,000 just to call an ambulance, yeah, you know, that that's ridiculous. And so when you have that, it, it's, it's a perfect cocktail to have a massive, massive hit to our system. And I think the problem that you're seeing now is you see a lot of politicians, Trump left and right included, trying to shoehorn how to deal with this virus into a broken system that doesn't work. You know, and, and but they won't give up the fact that it doesn't work. They're trying to like shoehorn it in, but then at the same time say, oh, but well, maybe we can get people to pay for it with like, uh, you know, taking it out of their future social security. Why do they have to pay for it in the first place? You know, this is a massive problem that, that shouldn't, this, this is when you need governments to step up. This is why we pay tax dollars in order to say, hey, use my tax money to keep the population safe and to keep us healthy. But we're not seeing that because we have this like broke thinking in Washington that says it can only fit into the systems that we already have have rather than thinking up new uh, systems that we should be putting in place and new designs uh, in how our both our economy and our healthcare system work. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this and this played out with healthcare. I think you made a really great point there. It also played out with what Trump and Democrats and Republicans say they all agree with, which is how we can make sure that the economy doesn't doesn't just tank. It did. It, and here's the thing. It tanked faster here than anywhere else in the world. And it's a similar reason to what you said with healthcare. It's because, you know, the, the value wasn't put in workers. The value was put in, oh, how do we give more money? It was supposed to be to small businesses and to workers. But really, that was just catch language for doing the same thing they've always done, giving more, be, being able to approve more money with $2.3 trillion. I think it was more than that, 2.5, whatever it is, seven. I don't know. It's a lot of money. And uh, they, they approved a lot of money very quickly. And suddenly, people like the LA Lakers, Harvard, Got the loan, like I'm just, and I'm sure some people got the loan that needed it, but lots of people I'm sure are getting the loan that don't need it and are further exposing our income inequality. So that's a choice America made. America could have said, 
we want to make sure we'll give you some money, but only that it, only, that money will go towards workers. So if you want to keep your workers on staff, we'll give you that money. And it'll go towards workers. That wasn't a choice we made. We said, okay, we'll we'll just hand out money and uh, hope it all goes well. And I can't tell. This is my this is my question. Was this stupidity or corruption or was it what the hell was it both? I think it's a combination of the two when you look at it, because I think, A, it's kind of indoctrinated thinking that, you know, a lot of people go into Washington and kind of get indoctrinated into this this very narrow-minded view of how to solve problems uh, within a broken system. And 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 I think it's also corruption as well. I mean, it, it played to what we see over and over and again is that, you know, the only way that your voice is heard in Washington is if you have the money. And this is a this is a uh, you know this is a, this is not a partisan issue. It's a bipartisan issue because that's both sides one hundred percent collect too much money, and that's the only sides they listen to is who can write the biggest check to the party uh, because they need it to run. You know, every year uh, for elections when you when you associate with the two groups, as you could tell, I'm I'm an independent. I kind of like to take the best ideas whenever I see them and not be kind of stuck into one idea. Yeah. You know, one base of of uh, you have some good training on that one too, party or another. About. You know. <laughs> No, Amisha, what do you think? Um, I, I agree with Tyrell here. I think it is a little bit of both. Uh, we also have to remember that it's an election year. Democrats were placed in a very interesting position by President Trump because on the one hand, he and the Republicans in Congress knew that the original um, recovery bill was, it had a lot of gifts and gimmies to large corporations, consultants mm -hmm. and the like. Um, and Democrats were basically just hanging out trying to see what was going to happen because what the Republican Party did was basically stage an all-out media assault on Democrats at the same time to say that, okay, well, they're trying to waste time. They're trying to hold back you getting this funding. And I think that for Democrats, it was they were losing the messaging war quickly. Americans yeah. were Hey, we're out of jobs. We need to see this money in our. We need when are Democrats not losing the messaging? What's war? happening? So <laughs> they, allowed, they allowed for this messaging to happen, and then what did we see? Republicans were going to do what they were always going to do. They were going to make sure that the big businesses and corporations and the lobbyist groups and firms that helped them get elected ended up getting this getting this money when it was released. And Democrats, they ended up failing, and I think that that was in large part because I agree. The war early and weren't and weren't willing to continue to work, continue to make sure that the language made sense and that the money went to the people who needed it the most because you also had, you know, the Trump administration and conservatives in the media day in and day out saying that Democrats were stalling. Yes, Democrats were stalling, but the reason why they were stalling was because they were trying to work to change the language to make sure that the cash got in right. the, the people who needed the most. Well, well let's I, also let's also remember too, though, is that the problem that the, I think one of the reasons the Democrats were stalling isn't just to say, "Hey, we're trying to figure out how to help the little guy." It's also because the Democrats, a lot of them, are boxed into a corner because they know they get their money from a lot of the same sources. It might not be the same like select group of you know billionaires and that kind of thing, like from the you know whether you're talking about Sheldon Ad Adelson or that or the Koch brothers, but they're still getting their money from a lot of businesses, a lot of big corporations that give their money to the Republicans too, and so they're trying to figure out like, well, how can we play both sides against you know how can we play both sides when we know we're just as liable uh, of getting called out on this as they are. You know, how can we develop the language to kind of insulate us from that? But we've taken money from that trough, too. Now those people are coming saying, hey, we want our take in this stimulus package. You know, that puts them in a tough, tough position because they know that, well, we need those people, too, to give us money. Um, and then that's where you create the messaging problem because they can't just come on TV and say, no, we will not give bailouts to big corporations on this because then those big corporations are going to say, well, come election season and that we're in, well, maybe we're not going to give you as much money as we did the years before. 
and they don't get as much money anyway. I would say, uh, you know, Tyrell, you make a lot of great points. Two things I would say, I would just to keep this real simple. I think it's because the the dim response is typical. It's scared and it's weak. I'm gonna go over both. All right, so like weak, I'll start there. Uh, you know, I was having a problem with a colleague a long time ago. I won't get on who it was, and I was just trying to figure out what was going on. And it would always seem like this colleague was looking out for me. But basically, this colleague was very weak, and when it, when something happened. Uh, he would go and just make me look bad just because he wanted just because he was scared of telling the truth of what happened uh, with some of the work. And uh, I tried to get advice and someone told me this and it stuck with me. They said, look, Rob, you have to understand weak people are dangerous. And sometimes weak people are more dangerous than the straight up direct assholes because you know what to expect from them. You know how to respond with weak people. You don't know what to do. You don't know what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. I look at Democrats that way sometimes. Uh, the second analogy I would make is kind of like it's poker. Do you play poker, Tyrell? Yeah, yeah I know. I, I know Amisha. Amisha says she's going to beat me in poker. This is what I want to see. By the way, she's. I'm anxious for this day. I'm. <laughs> I, I'm ready for us to. I'm sure she's good. So am I. I play for money. So if you're not, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we're going to have to have. I play for money. I don't mess around. <laughs> no, we all, we're all. We all play for money. Uh, so we're going to play each other in D.C. when this craziness ends. But back to where we are right now. Uh, a saying, a saying in poker is scared money never scared money don't make money. You can't win in scared money. So Democrats were right to be worried, to be a little bit nervous about not getting in front of the message. But, you know, you can recover. You can pivot. But I think uh, Republicans know at the end of the day that Democrats are going to cave because whatever they think it's they're, they're worried about what's going to happen to people. They're just afraid of what the messaging is. Sometimes you have to be willing to, to go all in and, and to call people on their bluff because Republicans at the end of the day are the ones in charge. They got the presidency. They got the Senate. They are the ones. And then a simple response would be, yes, but we don't want to do what we did in 2008. We don't want to give money away and then not actually. And it doesn't go to the people that it's designed to go to. That's what Republicans have right now. That's not what we want. Not hard. But that message never comes out. And I actually think some uh, corporations would still give money. Here's why. Because at the end of the day, if you have a united party uh, that, that is not going to necessarily try to screw over corporations, but it's going to say, OK, look, would, do you want this or do you want to go full whatever socialism? Because if we don't actually solve these problems, people are going to revolt. That that would be my response in talking to corporations. And that's that's what I would do. But you know, who the hell? You know, I'm not in charge. Well, of no, I mean, that, 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 that's that's legitimate. And, and don't forget, too, is that the Democratic Party on, on a purely political thing, they're split anyway. They're they they're facing major divisions within their own party over like which direction to go. You got the you know, you got like Bernie and AOC and that kind of wing of the party wanting to take it in one direction. You've got, you know, Schumer and Pelosi and them trying to take it in the other direction and kind of trying to say, OK, we'll take a little bit from this kind of popular uprising, but we can't take it all because of, you know, because of our, our you know, loyalty and our, our belief system of kind of going more towards the middle than more to the extreme. And I think what the Republicans have been able to do is they had that same fracture in their party Absolutely. a while back with the Tea Party and like all of that and that upsurging not to equate the tea party and, and the bernie people in the same right, they don't not, care anymore they don't, deficits you know, don't matter at all but go ahead yeah but, but you know but you know what i mean but like they were able to kind of take that division within their own party and utilize it because they saw hey these are the people that are going to be the most aggressive who are going to be out knocking on doors and who are the loudest in the room they were able to take that and kind of envelop in now did that pivot them as a party to some place that probably a lot of republicans wish they didn't go today yes but it made them a stronger party because it didn't create there wasn't the same amount of in fighting that we're seeing now on the democratic side of things and then people wonder why i'm an independent 
No, I think that's absolutely true. Um, fractions and fragments in the parties have existed for a long time. We yeah. see groundswell and the separation. Um, part of that was a result of Barack Obama's election that um, kind of sped up the process in the Republican Party. And Tea Party leaders were starting to get elected statewide, but also at the federal level. Um, and it was interesting to watch how the Republican Party enveloped them in. After, much like the Democrats now, they were very aggressive towards them when they initially you know, started breaking apart. I think that Democrats, sad to say, are going to have to, to a certain extent, take a lesson from the Republican Party in that in that aspect of things, because right now, the which aspect um, to envelope this group in that has. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. It, I agree. Because right now, the Democrats have had a process of, you know, standing by their their moderate base and steadily trying to push out or to prove that they the further left people are more fringe than anything else and not really including them. And I think that, you know, Biden, to his credit, is trying to do it for election purposes uh, come November. But for the most part, the party as a whole has tried to quell those voices. And I don't think that that's going to be something that's effective long term. It, it's I, not, because when you really look at what, what's going on with this crisis, as we talked about earlier, with like the, you know, we saw how bad the healthcare system is because of this crisis. We saw how bad our political system is because of this crisis. You're going to see more people start looking for new ideas. And they're going to say, you know what, this old way isn't working anymore. Look at, you know, I lost my grandmother. I lost this. That's, that's serious pain. And anytime you have a populace that's put through serious pain, that's when you that's when they start saying we need massive changes to how the system works because clearly it doesn't when i'm maybe getting twelve hundred dollars uh you know in response to this but then if i look overseas and see people getting two thousand three thousand dollars a month and seeing you know rent freezes and mortgage freezes saying like well why why were we left out to hang when all these other countries over here seem to take care of their people that's when you see major uprisings and major change i mean the government literally i think it was in the intercept the other day they kind of know that something's coming if this goes bad because they just spent a fortune on yes. riot gear you know things of this <laughs> nature because they know that if, if people get pushed into this corner you're gonna see that and and tragically i don't want to see that no one wants to see no. that but i think that 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 could happen and if you get the wrong leaders of these groups that are trying to come up and say hey we want change if that uh, energy of, of wanting to change the government is then focused in the wrong direction, that can become a very dangerous situation. Oh, that's absolutely true. I think um, this has been the problem with, I think, the Democrats. There's a saying with Republicans that Republicans fear their base and Democrats hate their base. And so it's like you look at it as, depending on how you define base, but I'm talking about people that are in your party that have some energy it's like Democrats tend to view some folks that are whatever, more more liberal that we just need to make them shut up. They need to focus. We need to. This is how you win elections, which is not always true, by the way. But that's how they see it. And I look at it this way. Um, you can be a moderate that gets some progressive things done. Honestly, that's what that was. That, that was FDR's model. He was there. Were, there were people on the left that were more further to the left. They were way far to the left. But he was able to have to get the country together. Because he actually showed results. So this is what I think for a Joe Biden presidency uh, or a Joe Biden campaign right now. This to me is the last is like the last Jedi. This is it. Like the last the last stand. Like they got he has to. First of all, he has to win. Right. He doesn't win. It's, it's, it's all types of problems for all types of reasons that that we can go down. But even if he wins and then we see the same thing and it's just, oh, he's just not me. He's just not an asshole. He's just not Trump. And then there's nothing that changes and we keep our system as it is 
let, let's actually go through some of the uh, what I say is a pattern of failure, particularly over the last 30 years. When you look at we've had crisis, many crises in this country, uh, all within our lifetime. And we have failed to respond in a way that actually changes things fundamentally like we used to. We used to be able to do that, uh, World War II, everything else. But that's what we used to do. But now starting with 9-11, we took 9-11 and, you know, George W. Bush said, everybody go shop and then created a war out of nowhere. <laughs> and then we got that, that built the deficit even more. We had 2008. We had Barack Obama came in. But right before he came in, we just gave billions to corporations that never got the money back. People... People got enraged, to your point, Tyrell. Uh, some people had legitimate rage, but it was it was misdirected, I think, into hate, into division, not into the people that were taking the resources. So that, to me, what was not a good response and didn't fundamentally change a lot of the pro, uh, uh, fix things. And now we have the coronavirus, <clears throat> which is showing to me a pattern of failure. Why do you think we keep having this pattern of failure? I guess we've answered that, but what do you think the results of not really fixing this. Do you agree with my assessment? What do you think has to be done differently? Well, I, I agree with your assessment. I think I think that we haven't we, we they haven't put in the the real effort to fix the problem because they I you know, maybe I'm cynical, but I think there's a lot of people in Washington who don't really want to fix the problem because it doesn't really affect them. You know, they are so detached from from the reality of what's going on outside of Washington and and you know, that they, they don't, they kind of look at it more as like, well, they're whining. You know, they looked at the Occupy protesters. Well, it's a bunch of kids in parks whining, you know, not really looking at it saying like, wow, it takes a lot to get people to go and camp out overnight in parks. Like, you know, I mean, that's not some small thing, but instead, what'd you see happen? Well, we're going to break up the parks and get these things out because, you know, hey, they've been there too long. Instead of actually looking at, well, why are they, what, what motivated this mass amount of people to really put in true time and effort in a protest? And they didn't really do that. They kind of did a lot of lip service. And then there was a lot of TV, you know, pundits and things like that, you know, kind of poo-pooing them and saying they're crazy. But what happened? We saw massive wealth inequality spike dramatically uh, after 2008 and continue yeah. to spike. It's one of the major problems that we're dealing with today. And nobody, nobody wanted to get in on that because at the end of the day, like I said, that then disrupts the flow of money in Washington. And any time that something is going to come along and say, hey, we got to disrupt the flow of money in Washington, when you don't have politicians who want to do that or who want to legitimately look at that and want to legitimately change the foundations of how this country operates on an economic level, on a healthcare level, on a, on a, on a, on a Pentagon level, um, that's where you get major problems. On a, you know, and look, we're also, let's be real, a majority of Congress and the White House, uh, apart from Barack in 2008, most of those cats who get in office are old. And I don't mean to bash on old people, but there's a certain point <laughs> where when you got it, when you got two guys and rich, running for usually president, too. and rich too, and when you got that, that all insulates. It's not, you know, that's all an insulator to where they only see the world through one little prism. They don't see it through a, through the massive prism. I think in the older day, in, in in previous generations, you had, I think maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you had more variety of people holding office on all levels, on state local and, and 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 federal and when you have a variety of people from a variety of backgrounds that's where you can get new ideas that's where you can get people to say hey look i know and i know what it's actually like out here i'm not just living in a washington bubble in a washington that kind of spin zone that takes place um plus look at the end of the day all of our media is run by 
extremely rich, wealthy corporate, you know, extremely rich people. Uh, our politics is run by extremely rich people. So again, that creates a very narrow view of what's actually happening in the world because they only view it in terms of, well, how does it affect me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, to that point, you know, I, I, I actually think a lot of the ideas of some on the left, including I'm talking about Bernie Sanders, are, are resonate with people. I mean, the polls show this. The issue, I think, and this time, I think the messenger wasn't that good. So I think, you know, I, no disrespect to Bernie Sanders, but I think the I think the messenger matters just as much as the message. And then, so that never happened, and so there hasn't been that type of alignment. Because I do think if if that happened, there that's how things move forward. But I'd love to get Tyrell your point of view, um, given how you grew up, and in fact, you watch your father uh, become governor of uh, Minnesota uh, without being in either party. And I will give you my uh, outside perspective. It, it's, it, it seems as if uh, because he wasn't going to choose a party, both parties collapsed and came against him and tried to make sure he failed. <laughs> so that, that's how I looked at it. There was bipartisan agreement that we don't want any third parties in here. Uh, well, he he yeah. was the most over his vetoes were the most overridden in Minnesota history. Wow. Meaning both sides got together to override his vetoes uh, when they put him forward. And that simply came from the fact that that rather than looking and saying, hey, here we have an independent governor where, you know, fiscally conservative, socially liberal. And that's in a very general sense. You know, uh, uh, my dad's far more dynamic in his viewpoints than that. But in a general sense, for the sake of clear, you know, uh, brevity. Um, rather than looking at that saying, hey, you know, some ideas on one side Jesse might like, some ideas on the other side he might like, let's play to those and let's see if we can find these good compromises that we're talking about to where people can come together and get the best ideas from both sides. Because, you know, regardless, Republican, Democrat, left, right, there's good ideas on all sides. You just have to kind of weed through the garbage to get to them Agreed. a lot of times. Um, and but the garbage than, pays the bills. That's the it, problem. <laughs> you know, and rather, rather than doing that, rather than saying, hey, the people have spoken, they want something new. They instead doubled down and said, "No, we have to destroy uh, this new, you know, this new force, this new, you know, what the people wanted. We got to destroy Jesse. We got to destroy this. So we're not going to really try to implement any of his ideas coming from the executive level in Minnesota. We're only going to stick with the status quo because, again, a third party uh, is a threat to the power structure of the two parties. You know, if you want to see the two parties get into bed real quick together." introduce a third party candidate they will and and that's and there's a lot of fringe garbage third party candidates i'm not saying that they're you know of course there is but when you have really strong third party candidates with a really strong message that clearly are winning elections that clearly people are saying we we like this idea let's go in this direction they will still get in you know they will still team up to take that down so you know does that affect my view of the two parties yes because again when you go to the conventions i'll, I'll never forget um there was two, there, I believe there was a Republican convention uh, in Minnesota, or actually my dad told me when he went out to Washington, that's where he discovered firsthand that when he would go out there as part of governor's conferences and things like that, he literally saw firsthand that you would see lobbyists from these different you know, groups going to the same, going to the opposite conventions. So if the, if the money is flowing into the parties from the, from the same people, then you're not going to get that big of a uh, change in thought or perspective. I think on T, it's a lot like wrestling. On TV, they'll tell you what you want to hear. You got your good guy and your bad guy, and they're fighting and all of that. But then once the cameras are off, they're both, you know, they're both getting paid by the same promoter, and they're both all going to dinner at the same it's place. Just like wrestling, your day. father. That was a good. Just that was like a good wrestling. Metaphor. Good. You know, that was good. <laughs> 
You know, and, and that's and, and don't like think a WWE not, match. It's all about the lights and cameras to show the fight, but at the end of the day, everybody's getting paid. Because here's my and here's here's what I'll say. Apart from from some cursory changes and some good changes that Barack did, and, and I'm sure there's people that felt that George did some good changes and, and same going on down, since realistically, since Jimmy Carter has there really been any major change in how the U.S. has operated? I mean, not on like a not on like an out outlier level of like you know a few little things here and there, but the fundamental direction well, the of where yes we've been going, I, there I, hasn't I really been that. that many much change. Whether it's it a Democrat been. in the office or a Republican, since well Reagan changed things, I don't think in a good way. No, he, cha- no. he changed things in terms of how we view uh, private debt. How mm-hmm. things went. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not offering good changes. There was changes though, because yeah. before that era, you had to. Let me get down into a nerve trap <laughs> just for a second. Uh, before that, you know, places like Bear Stearns or whatever corporation would be responsible for the debt that they carried, and yep. then people would be more cognizant. Oh, I can't just take these risks because my whole business could go down. That that whole model changed. And that we changed the rules to allow things like that to happen. So, uh, yes, you're right. I mean, so like it, it, that changed. So I guess I would say before Reagan is Reagan has pretty been the model that everybody has followed and no one has interrupted. I would totally agree with you on that. And, and that, that's the problem, because then because you remember back in the early 90s, you know, then Bush came in, you know, Bush senior came in. And then the early 90s with Clinton, a lot the Democratic Party said, hey, we need to go more right. Correct. You know, we need to go more centrist. Uh, you know, as they called it, in order to you know win win elections, because clearly you know the Republicans are winning left and right now. Trust me, that there was a lot of gerrymandering involved in that. Yeah. And, you know, like like let's be real. But they still made that choice to go more to the right and more to that middle, and they've never gotten out of that line of thinking. That doesn't mean that just you know and super the progressive way, and, ideas and people, are the and, only and, ideas that are good. And but it just and it, to it, your it, point, Tyrell, very quickly yeah. on that because people look at Bill Clinton and. You know, Bill Clinton was a smooth operator. He was a great talk. He was he he was a fundamentally sound politician in terms of just the skill level. Um, but even his first election, people think like he he didn't he didn't get a majority. Like ten percent mm. of it went to Ross Perot. Yeah. And and so like people don't understand that. And so there was some pull initially. And so it wasn't necessarily. And, and then because of his skill set, he's a fundamental. Again, when he got there, he could communicate in such a way that people said, "I like the guy." Right. But he never gets past the election if the if, if the Republicans are united, not even close during that time. So, like, I, I want people to understand that, you know, Barack Obama was the first candidate I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, talk about a hope message that was pretty, pretty, pretty progressive. Mm-hmm. And he won in a landslide. So yep. I really don't understand the philosophy uh, that, you know, somehow you can embrace a message of being progressive and win. Like, I don't get... Someone has to show me you the can. data. And I, I think we that, also that's have to the thing. You can. Go, go, go ahead, Misha. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we also have to look at, you know, but Barack Obama was a once-in-a-lifetime candidate. A lot of different stars aligned. Yes, he, he, he produced a, a progressive pathway, but I would argue that once he actually got into office, that progressiveness tended to shrink back quite a bit. And even when he was senator of the great state of Illinois, which I'm from, his progressive banter was not nearly as strong as it was when he decided to run for president. As much as I love Barack um, worked on his campaign, was in the administration. We do have to be very honest if we're going through like the historic right. perspective for him as well. Barack, just like Bill Clinton, great orator. Again, someone yeah. who stars in line for him. There were We were also coming out of an era of the George W. Bush administration where people were weary of war. There was a lot of, we had burned through uh, 
created a, it created a mass deficit. Um, and people really want to see some level of change. To be honest, I don't think that no matter who the Republicans ran for president in 2008, they were going to lose, period. Just because when Americans are that weary and they're that upset and they're watching a nation in debt and they're that you know aggravated over consistent wars, many of which we saw during the course of the second um, W administration, we're starting for absolutely nothing. And now we're yeah. of dollars in debt. There was a level of upset with the Republican Party that it was going to take them some years to be able to get over. Oh, yeah, I agree. I to- totally agree. And, and, and now and I agree with you, too, is that that was that's what really I think that's where the fracture started in the Democratic Party, truthfully, was when Barack ran on that more progressive hope message. And we're going to change things. And we're going to do this. But then they kind of saw him leading from the middle. You know, that was one of my big problems with 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 Obamacare was kind of like, hey, I get that you're trying to change healthcare. That's great. We need to do that. But why when you're when you're negotiating, the first rule they tell you is start from the extreme of what you want. Don't start from the middle. And Obamacare kind of started from the middle. I mean, it was a Mitt Romney it, thing in, in Massachusetts, backwards. the majority of it. You know, and when you start from the middle, that just you know, that just then you lose you want to be able to kind of start from the extreme, lose some things, but then end up in a happy medium, Correct. not start in the middle and then just keep getting pulled, you know, <laughs> in the other direct, the direction you don't want to go. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of mistakes. And I think that's where that big rift that we're talking about There's started no because question. I think a lot of people felt like, Hey, you kind of lied to us. You, you promised X and yeah, it, that's not discounting the amount of pushback that the man got from Congress. That's very real. It's hard to get things passed. Everyone knows that a president can't wave their magic wand and make the country better. That's impossible. And, and whoever tries to tell you that line of goods, which they always do every election year, uh, it's, it's bullshit, you know, <laughs> but at least if you stick to your guns, you know that you can, they eventually have to cave on some level if you have the political power to do that. And sadly, Barack did. He had the country behind him. He that had was the country the and he had the votes. And people tell me that they didn't, but he did. And it, I, I just want to just go on this point a little bit because, look, I'm a, I supported Barack Obama, raised a bunch of money for him, still love him. Uh, but you can also love somebody and be critical of what they do or, sh- or show signs of where they can improve. So to your point, my issue with Barack was not that that he was that he was going to the middle. It's that you don't define what the middle looks like. Listen, when you're in charge and you have power, you use it. And and and, and Barack's strength and his weaknesses that he believed that kind of hope stuff and that people would come and respond just because people liked Barack and the Republicans do not care. And so at the end of the day, uh, if your opponents are doing that, the only thing that they respect, particularly I'm talking about the other party right now. They respect strength. And the only way he was going to be able to move them is by strength. He they, also had something else. Barack Obama uh, obviously was a black man. So well, he had that too, yes. Before, multiple times over, there is a certain level of strength that can be exerted and accepted from those who look like every other president we've had in America. That same thing is not seen in the same way or respected in the same way when it comes from African-American That's men. That's fair. Uh, so I think that, you know... There, to a certain extent, there is some criticism to be made about him running with these lofty goals and wanting to bring in and usher in this era of progress. He also lost control of Congress. The Democrats lost control of Congress during his first two years. And he lost control of Democrats. To change anyway. And, and I think that, you know, to a certain extent, we have to be reminded that the power structure looks different if the color of your skin. There's no question. I agree with that. I completely the, agree with that. The pushback I have on that is not so much the first... Uh, I agree. I still think he could have done more in the first in the first two years when he had the Democrats. That's neither here nor there because I, I think you make a lot of great points there. My biggest, I guess, uh, pushback to that is the second term. 
that's something I really didn't understand. Like I did not understand the lack of pushback with the Supreme Court and the lack of pushback with knowing the election was hacked and still asking Mitch McConnell to sign a letter in bipartisan agreement before you would come out. Like what? Like so like those are the things that like to me, I, I hear you and and I agree that he had to be the least aggressive person in the history of America because he's because he was a black man. He was the first black man to occupy that position. And Barack did one of the most important things he could do is make sure that another black person could hold that position because we know had he really royally screwed up, no other black person would ever have a shot in the history of America because people say, well, we can't repeat that Barack stuff again. So he did <laughs> he did do that. So I have to give him credit for that, you know. So like, but I the second term of not of not really pushing back, and I think it was for several reasons. One, he probably thought Hillary was gonna win, but that that still wasn't good. And I still think that helped set up some things. Cause I, can you imagine? Can you imagine a George W. Bush or Trump having their Supreme Court pick and not even getting a vote? There would wouldn't there be a massive fight? Would there not? I mean, they would hold up everything. And so that 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 is really if everything with Barack. I think you make a good point with the with the or with the concertion around everyone believing the DNC, having all these conversations. There there was never a belief that that much push was going to have to happen because the assumption was Hillary's going to get this and then we're going to see her usher in whatever wave of Supreme Court justices she'll have during that time frame and we won't have to worry about it. Yeah. No one gave any level of credibility that Donald Trump or hell, any of the Republicans that were running at the time would have actually been able to turn this thing around. And I don't think, I think that was a huge, you know, fallacy on the Democrats' part for not seeing what America changed to or how people were reacting, not necessarily because President Obama did a, a demonstratively bad job as president, but because we saw a huge growth of folks, particularly in the white community, who were very upset. And I think that, you know, that was that was a very different thing that many people didn't take into account. And those extremely upset people would have voted for anyone that was not a Democrat after the after the Democratic Party chose an African American male. And I yeah. think we cannot underscore that enough. There was a lot of pushback. The whole creation of the Tea Party wasn't just because there were fractions within the Republican Party. Hell, those have existed for 30, 40 years. They were because there was a reaction to what happened in the Democratic Party and who the Democrats chose to lead them. But that reaction happened in 2012, too. So, so Barack Obama received the least amount of white votes anybody's ever received in one. He still won at a pretty, at a pretty large margin. So uh, the, the, the issue, I think, is that he uh, they didn't fight. He, he didn't step up and want to fight enough. And then you do the same type of tactics. So it's well, the second term. The second term throughout history has been the lame duck presidency. He did what every other president did in their second term. Yeah, but not but the Supreme he Court got pick, through marriage inequality. Right. Marriage but, equality. But and let's then, just, no, wait, wait, I want to focus no. on the Supreme Court pick really quick. And what, what I think and what a lot of people told him he should have done. You know what? Play to your base here to get people engaged in the election. So at a minimum, if you don't get it, people say like, so you put it instead of Merrick Garland, who whatever doesn't appeal to anybody, it is a blah blah blah. You put up an African American woman that people can resonate to. You're saying they are trying to deny her a seat. You make a big deal that you push this. This is what Democrats Democrats just think they like to have the uh, more high ground, and that's it. Like, no, you have to you have to actually do the exercise of the theater and put things out there to win too. I wish you didn't, but. I, you got you got to do that basic level of of saying I'm I'm so supremely confident in this person or or this issue yeah. or whatever that I'm willing to stake everything I have correct. on it. And well, that, conviction and is that, conviction. 
Yeah, and then that that Period. that and and maybe and and behind closed doors probably are you know probably were, but they just, like you said with messaging, they didn't they didn't get that message across, and it's okay to fight. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, the Republicans look bad when they shut down the economy. That made them look horrible. You know, and, and the thing that also we have to remember, too, is at the end of the day, not enough people. And, and, I, and I agree with you, Amisha, on, on terms of like, you know, there was a lot of white resentment that came out because of him being elected and that kind of, you know, inherent institutional racism that exists in this country that we see every day. That's there. And that's that's not going away just because we had a black president. That was the tragedy of it. Um, I think that the other thing too, is that people, the reason Trump got in there was because not just of that vote, but also the fact that people at that point were very sick and tired of Washington. The wars were still going on eight years later, the, you know, 2008, the bankers got let off the hook. Like what? One guy went to jail, you know, like people saw that wealth gap rise. They saw their wages falling. They saw the respect for the, the, the work that they do falling. And they just felt, you know what? No one's a voice for us right now. Yeah, and Hillary so had the, been tied to that system, wrong, rightly or wrongly. She'd been she's been seen in Washington for a long time, so yeah. I think she was also not the best candidate for the moment. And there was that tidal wave saying we want something different. Now Donald Trump came along with his showmanship bullshit, and yeah. essentially he was definitely was, different. Yeah, you know, and essentially, call, and he remember too, he called a lot of that bullshit out. He did the trade you know, agreements and things like that. That resonated with some union members I know. And that I think voted there's for a lot Barack of people, Obama. That. Yeah, and I think there was a lot of people that kind of were like, "Well, I don't like Trump for X, Y, and Z, but fuck anything at this point is a, is, is is we just have to have some kind of change because this is all going on." And you remember Trump at the time uh, had, and I think, and and I wouldn't underestimate this, had said we need to get out of certain, a lot of these wars, blah blah yep. blah blah blah. <laughs> that resonated with a lot of people. In I fact, agree. So, was, so the trade agreement stuff, yeah, absolutely there was, right. There, there, no, there, no other, no other political class would say things that everybody else saw was obvious. And that's not to say that the Trump was some fucking amazing guy. No, we're, we're on the terrible. same page. We we're all, just we, yeah, we're all, you know, like well, we're acknowledging <laughs> what worked. It yeah. worked. You know, he he played to that, and it worked. Now. Whether or not now the key is with this upcoming election is were people smart enough to see that he got in there and it was just business as usual and it was the same corruption on an probably on a more flagrant oh, no, scale. No, he, he took he took corruption know. to new levels yeah. we've never seen. He <laughs> definitely know. innovated on corruption. He's oh yeah. It to- <laughs> it, well, if there's one thing, if there's one thing, I'll give Donald credit for. He's not afraid of saying he's corrupt. Like you know what I mean? Like that's that's this weird thing with him of and I don't and not credit in a good sense, but just like. He'll just blatantly say, oh, well, you're not going to support me. Well, I'm not going to give funding to your, you know, to your state. We just saw him do that with Michigan and all of that. You know, that's a blatant level of corruption and a blatant level of that, that, that it's going to be interesting to see when this election comes around if the base that like wasn't just his core base of, of sycophants, but the people that like won him that election, that middle group that kind of said, let's go with the guy who's a little different who calls shit out. Yeah. They're going to look at him. I think they're going to look at his presidency. This was an abject failure. This guy's only out for himself. I didn't vote for that. I want someone who's out for the rest of us. And I honestly, I think this is going to be one of the lowest turnouts in history, regardless of whether COVID was an issue or not. That's scary because I think that could be a reelection of the the president occupant. And that that is scary because I think that right now there's a majority. I mean, you've got to remember, in all of our presidential elections, a majority of people don't vote. In general, you know, Which none the of the issue? above technically wins every single presidential election right now. Most of those votes don't come in over 50%. Usually they're on what, 46, 43, you know, in presidential elections. And then they're just kind of splitting between that vote. 
mo- there's a lot of people who stay at home on election day and it's easy to write that off as apathy but you could also say you know what what if that's right you know what if a lot of those people and that big chunk of people are simply because they don't like the options they're given you know my father won not because he pulled from the group of people who normally vote he pulled because he got people who don't normally vote out he went, he got young people out to vote in droves there were lines around the block at the university of minnesota because they had same day registration which i agree with we should have that in this country across the board but that's the reason he won that that election is he got that group of people that a lot of times democrats and republicans don't pay any attention to because they don't consistently vote yeah i you agree know? And if you can capture that, now I don't think Trump's going to have that going into this election, which makes me feel, which makes me scared that it's going to kind of come down to who normally votes and, and, or who's normally allowed to vote. Let me, let me clarify that because there's also a lot of that yeah. gerrymandering that I mentioned earlier. And a lot of, a lot of people don't vote because they're not allowed to vote or they make it so hard for them to vote that they're not allowed. And that's, you know, that's where you get into a lot of, as we were talking about earlier with the racism in this country and how we treat people in this country, uh, who, you know, aren't white. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no question. I, I actually think to, to the corruption point, I have a different point on this. I think people accept some level of corruption. I think corruption has been here even when the system is working. I think the problem is the system just, just, just doesn't even work at all. Just the only part that's working is the corruption. So you used to be able to say, okay, you got some corruption. I'll give you an example. You know, we, we ended slavery, though, of course, we know Jim Crow followed, but still ending slavery was something. Uh, there was a lot of things that had to be done that, that were unsavory. But it ha- but it worked, right? Lyndon Johnson did a lot of good stuff. He was kind of corrupt too. He made a lot of money off of the system. But you know what he did? He uh, he did Medicare, Medicaid, and he passed the largest civil rights bill. So the problem is like nothing works. The only thing that is working is corruption at this point. I think that's how people see it. No, I agree with that. I don't think people in general. Well, people put politics and corruption together like peanut butter and jelly anyway. <laughs> this will ever be a non-corrupt system. But as long as they feel like there's a certain level of benefit from it too, correct. they are okay. If the only people who are profiting are big business and folks who are trying to fatten their pockets, then there's a problem. In Illinois, Governor Bogoyevich was guilty as sin. However, there were a lot of people that were very upset because he gave free rides to seniors, because he helped take care of impoverished communities, because he made sure that there was available housing. Um, There was a lot that he did to help communities that were suffering. So yeah, they knew he was doing other shady stuff. And when when the federal investigation happened, nobody denied the fact that he was doing shady (laughs) But hey, he was doing all these other great things as well. If you have- spreadsheet of nothing but shady shit (laughs) here for people who need help then you're going to have a higher level of pushback yeah yeah there's no question about it so what what does the new normal look like after this the smoke clears we're on the ground that's my first question then then i'll have a second question what what do you think Amisha, you can take that one first. <laughs> oh, once the smoke clears and we're on the ground, the new normal is going to be interesting. Um, I, I think it's going to be largely dependent on the state. Um, for instance, in Georgia now, everything is open. People are walking around without masks, living their best life. There are some social distancing, sort of, in different bars and restaurants. They're not as crowded as they were before. I attribute that to a lot of smarter folks still staying at home more than I do restaurants actually enacting social distancing policy. Sure. Um, But the the biggest changes I think are going to come at the uh, college and university level and at the school level. Hmm. We're seeing more and more folks be extremely afraid of what this might look like, not only for the students, but also because our education system has never been geared towards small classroom sizes, has never been geared towards um, not having social activities or sports or assemblies and things like that. Now they're saying your class could have 12 or less students in it. 
Um, you can't eat in the cafeteria at the same time. What about football games and things like this that draw in crowds? Uh, what about graduation ceremonies? What are those things that we traditionally do in large number going to look like moving forward? And I think that that's something that people are really considering in addition to the move to work from home. Many corporations, we're seeing Facebook, Twitter, we're also seeing many more nonprofits and organizations that typically rented out their spaces or use things like WeWork, which is now about to go belly up, <laughs> to have a certain level of what they assume productivity. You had to be in a space and that space was not your home. Now they're seeing that their workers are doing just as much and in many cases more work from home and being able to produce it faster and the quality is great. So why would I pay thousands of dollars in a downtown area when these folks can do it from the comfort of their own home and still be able to do the work at a higher level in most cases than they were actually doing in the office. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about your new normal. Wow, but I don't I'll have a lot of disagreements, Tyrell. <laughs> no, I mean, the, no, you make some really great points. I, I, I think that we actually, Misha, we were talking about earlier today, I think that the, the new normal of, let's say, more businesses are letting people work from home, I think if, if done right, that could actually be a good thing because, you know, as we were talking about earlier today before we did the show, or I think yesterday, uh, you know, that actually helps because in a certain sense, that allows more people who don't normally, you know, who maybe can't afford to move across the country for a job or, you know, can't afford the, the just the basic going back and forth if you live in a city with a terrible public transportation system and things like that. That might actually allow people who might not normally get those good jobs of being able to get those jobs if the company chooses to hire them. So that could actually help in a way level a certain amount of a playing field for a lot of people that normally would be overlooked because, oh, well, you don't own a car, you can't get the job. You know, there's a million things that stand in front of that. Um, and yeah, it does save money at the end of the day if you're not having to pay those offices. I... Going forward, it's hard to really say what the new normal is going to look like. I will say this. I think that we have to do a very good, diligent, vigilant job as citizens to make sure that in, as we rebuild our, our, our society in the wake of COVID, that we start you know, we start looking at our healthcare system and saying what worked, what failed, let's fix that. Uh, we start looking at our infrastructure saying, you know, because to me, I, I said on the show and I'll say it again, when you have an economy and you have a healthcare system, you have a government that literally goes in the tank because people are forced to stay at home for a few months, you have to step back and say, we need major changes. That, that should not, that's not working at all. Like no economy should be that weak. No business should be that weak. We always see, you know, they yell and holler at the average citizen. You need to have savings. You need to be able to have savings for a rainy day, even though we don't get paid enough to do that. But you know, they always yell and holler about that. Well, businesses should also be the same. We have to, you know, why should we be bailing out businesses if they didn't save for a rainy day? That's also on them too, not just the worker, you know? And then also, I mean, looking at it moving forward, th this is a, this is, to me, I have a lot of hope because I, I, I feel like it's a really good, strong wake up call. And I'm hoping that people will, will truly change things for the better coming out of this and, and really hold people accountable and really say, Hey, let's rethink how this whole system works. So that way it can work for all of us, not just a small select few. And I hope that we see that change moving forward. And that that's not coming this year, but I'm hoping that, you know, five years long term, that's one of the biggest things I'm sad about in modern politics today is we don't have many visionary leaders who make decisions that will affect the country 50 years from now. Correct. You know, uh, 
when you go back and look at people like John Kennedy and things like that, you had a lot more politicians standing up saying, it's not about my time in office, it's about where the country's left. It's about where it's going at the end of the day. And we don't have that kind of vision, visionary leadership, rarely, um, where someone says, hey, let's talk about problems 10 years, 20 years down the line, not just by the next election cycle. Yep. You know, and, and I'm hoping that we'll see a lot more of that in, in terms of how we deal with COVID. Well, you know, <laughs> I hope people wear masks and, I, I, and, I, and it gets under my skin like to the nth degree when I see these people out protesting and all that kind of thing. Because, look, part of the reason of having the Bill of Rights, part of the reason of having freedoms is that you're also responsible with them. Right. And, and right now we're, we're such a me centric society in a lot of ways that it's all about me and it's not about my community. And it's not about my neighbors. And I think that COVID exposed a lot of that. So I'm hoping that people learn from that at the end of the day that it ain't, it ain't just about your personal rights. It's about all of our rights together. That's why we have these freedoms. Yeah. Amen. I would say that I, I hope that people in the new normal recognize, as you said, the old normal was not a good one. It wasn't good. It wasn't a good system. It wasn't working for a lot of people. And uh, I actually wrote a letter to the graduates of 2020 to really say, look, you know, I, I hope that at this moment you do work to create a new normal, um, one that doesn't just accept inequalities uh, based upon race, based upon income, one that doesn't say, oh, we want to thank essential workers, but then not pay them. Uh, one that just says, OK, uh, we're going to give broadband to only those who can afford it. So when this stuff happens, there, there, there are whole communities that can't get education, that can't receive the resources that they absolutely need. Uh, so I hope, as you said, this is a moment that will expose us uh, in a way that shows that, look, you just look in the mirror at the end of the day, we have to improve this. Um, because if we try to recreate the past, we may destroy our future. We have to work towards building a better future. And that and that means looking at things differently, disrupting the system. Uh, but to do that, the eternal, you know, the eternal vigilance is the price of freedom, always has been, always will be. So that means people are going to have to decide they're going to have to work together, work harder. And yes, there's going to be barriers. Yes, people are going to put in uh, voter suppression methods. People are going to try to discourage you from voting. Uh, they're going to do all these things because power concedes nothing without demand, never has, never will. The only way to overcome voter suppression, I think Stacey Abrams said this, is huge voter turnout, period. And so we, to, to the levels where people know we're not going to put up with this, and it's not going to happen once. It's not going to happen twice. I look at it this way. When, when someone tells me that they want to lose weight, you know, they're 60 pounds overweight, and then they say, okay, well, they think, okay, tomorrow I'm going to just work out hard and I'll get there. No, <laughs> it's going to take you day after day after day. This voting system is not going to take one hit against the wall. It's not going to take 10 hits against the wall. It's going to take 1,000 hits, and then sometimes you don't even see it, and it breaks. But we have to keep hitting and keep hitting, and that's the only way we're going to get the disruption that we so badly need. So I do hope... Uh, Tyrell, as you said, uh, that we get that type of change that, because sometimes the only way people can see change is when they go through a little bit of pain. And we're about to go through a tremendous amount of pain. We're already going through it, but I think this is going to be just the beginning with automation, with a lot of other things that uh, are going on and the issues we haven't addressed in our society. The pain is coming at a level that <clears throat> Americans haven't seen. And so we have to decide, are we going to move forward? Are we going to hold our government accountable? Or are we just going to give up? If we do that, things get worse. So I'm hopeful that people will see that we can keep moving forward. We can get better. 
Uh, as as uh, was it as uh, as uh, Chicago's uh, own was a Lupe Fiasco setting that sign? It's like you can't ju- you're setting that song. You can't just complain about the neighborhood. Pick a broom up, you know. Pick it's, it up it's, and start sweeping. It, yeah, exactly. And you don't have to yeah. change the whole block. You can change one corner. Sweep. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it, it ain't just yeah. about the complaint. It's all you know. It's great to recognize the problems, but it's yeah. everyone has to get together and do their little small part. And I'll just add to what you said. And I think with the voting, it's very important. At the end of the day, too. We can't also allow ourselves to just be, you know, we can't allow ourselves to only focus on the American Idol side of voting in terms of like, ooh, you know, president, ooh, this. You know, yeah. the biggest change that you're going to see to your community is going to come from actually being involved in who's in your, you know, who who's running for your local council elections, who's running for your local state elections. And I think we a lot of times get ourselves lost in no just question. looking at the, the dazzle of the federal level and not actually pay attention. Local is yeah. going to have a bigger effect on people's no lives. No question. Your mayor, your governor, your prosecutor, those people will have a tremendous, a tremendous, a, a way larger effect than any president any congressperson will have on your life. You, those people will def- will really affect most of your freedoms or most of your opportunities. You don't bring down a giant by going after the head. You bring down the giant by taking its legs out from under it. And those legs are local uh, elections and local communities and leadership. Yep. And I, I'll get ready to uh, to end, but I want to have Amisha to say a couple things last too to get the last thoughts. But I do want to say that's also a shortcoming of how the Democratic Party thinks about things as well, because everything's about the the pad is about the presidency pageant. Everything's about the federal, and I know this as a, a victim of that because I was running because it's, it's shiny and it's 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 money right. raising. It's everything associated with it that gets people's attention. Yep. But when you ask folks, you know, how changes in their school, and they look at Betsy DeVos, and I'm like, no, that's a school board issue. That's <laughs> issue that has that's a superintendent issue that has absolutely nothing to do with Betsy DeVos. Not that she doesn't deserve, you know, a, a lot of the criticisms that she gets, but I do think to a certain extent there's a large level of misdirection when it comes to the belief that the federal system is in charge of all things local. People often have a mistaken idea of who actually leads what and what functions of government actually exist at their fingertips. You will always be a lot closer to your city council member than you will the president of the United States. Yep. And who will change your life most dramatically at the local level, at the level that you exist at every single day is going to be there. Even when people talk about criminal justice reform in the First Step Act, the First Step Act is about the federal prison system. The majority of black and brown people locked up in America are in social jails and prisons at the state level. So it has no effect on them whatsoever. You still have to look towards your governor. You have to look towards your state's attorney. You have to look towards infrastructure at home. Yep, be frustrated, but keep moving because otherwise we're gonna keep getting what we got. And so. I just want people to be encouraged. I want folks to stay involved. Tyrell, you can catch him at Watching the Hawks. You can also catch Misha at Watching the Hawks. You can also obviously always catch her on Disruption Now. We love having her and we love having you on. We'll see you next time.